So uh, you can open up, if, you're, if you've got some kind of a Bible or a Bible app, you can look up uh, with me to Luke chapter 1. And uh, we're looking, as we said, at what did Jesus do. Last week we looked at the fact that Jesus didn't really do this per se, but when he came he was identified 84 times in Scripture as the Son of Man. And um, many times in Luke he referred to himself as the Son of Man. And um, the idea there being that as the Son of Man, he identified fully with us. Not just kind of like, you know, God, but he was like in the body of a person, so he kind of like could interact with us, but we all know he was really man. No, actually he was fully the Son of Man, which means he fully became human, and we looked at how specifically that means he can identify with every temptation and weakness and struggle that you and I go through. How many of you know that it is a good thing to know that the one that we serve is not so lofty that he's just judging us, even though he could. He chooses rather to become us, identify fully with our struggle so that he can help us. That's good news. Gospel is, in fact, good news. But today, we're not looking at the fact that he's the son of man, but in Luke chapter 1, we read something that, in a sense, again, that he did. It's kind of hard to say that he did this, but he was born of a virgin. And uh, we're going to kind of look briefly at what the um, significance is of that for you and me in our daily lives. And it's essentially this, is that Jesus is the son, not only of man, but of God. And being fully man, he simultaneously is, it's kind of like the Trinity, it's kind of one of those things to hard, hard to get your head to wrap around, was fully man in the sense that he fully identifies with the things that we struggle with, and he also is fully God. And the significance being, number one, he's got all power And you and I actually get this, and please really get this, we don't have to worry. And secondarily, practically speaking, what this means is that we should hear him. We don't have to worry, we should hear him. So Luke chapter 1, and starting in verse 30, it says this, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive... And give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be, and be, will be called the Son of the Most High. Catch that. The Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How this, will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? So not only was he born of a female human, he was born of a virgin. Significant. Verse 35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In other words, in the same way that a man would impregnate a human female... In that same way, this will not be a result of a human man and a human female coming together in that act. This will rather be God himself impregnating and causing his seed, in a sense, to be in 
in a woman so that the child that would be born would not be the son of any man, but actually the son of God. Pure, unbridled, I don't know if it's right, untainted DNA of God. And so what is the significance of the fact that he is uh, born of a virgin? First of all, is simply that he is deity. So while Jesus is fully approachable, and we love that, that he's fully approachable, we love that he's not so lofty and that he's not religious and kind of aloof and, and so much better than us. I mean, he's, he is way better than us, but, he's, but yet he, he stoops to the lowest point to serve us. But at the same time, we as the church need to recognize that Jesus isn't just, as we would say in South Africa, he's not my mate, or as we would say in America, he's not my bud. He is my bud. But he's not just my bud, as in like we're on parallel level ground. Jesus is God. So if you, if you look with me, John chapter 1, so we were just in Luke chapter 1. Look with me in John chapter 1. Another kind of approach of how John introduces Jesus as compared to how Luke introduces Jesus also in the first uh, chapters of either of their gospel. John says this in a little bit of a more poetic sense and description. He says, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we're not, again, just talking about my mate Jesus, my bud Jesus. We both love the same football team, and we, and we, and we kind of love eating hot dogs on a Saturday together. Jesus is God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Do you hear that? All that was made, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, Jesus isn't just kind of like God version B. And like there's God the Father, and there's kind of like Jesus who's kind of like this mini-God, he's, he's God Jr. What God, John is saying is that Jesus, the Word of God, the Son of God, was in the beginning. Every material thing that was created was created by him. In other words, he the man Jesus reigns over all material creation. Everything was created by him. To see Jesus as he is, in fact, lofty and lifted up and reigning over all things. And so this same gospel writer, John, uh, who also wrote a few of the uh, letters in the Old Testament, I mean, excuse me, in the New Testament, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and he also wrote, as many of you would know, the book of Revelations. Now, John, and uh, we've, I think, maybe shared this before, John was kind of known as uh, this intimate one. He was the friend of Jesus. We just talked about, you know, being mates with Jesus and, and, and buds with Jesus. That's, that's the way John was. He was intimate. He carried an intimate relationship with, with Jesus uh, when they walked the earth together. So John was, uh, at the Last Supper, he was the one seen leaning his, his head on the breast of Jesus. In other words, there's something about intimacy between John and his relationship with Jesus. Leaning on his head, he wanted to hear, in a sense, if you can see that picture, hear the heartbeat of Jesus. He's the one having that intimate kind of posture towards Jesus. And then when Jesus comes out of the grave and, and they hear from the two Marys that he's come out of the grave, 
and, and, uh, and they start to think maybe there's something to that. It's Peter and John that are, are seen in the Gospel of John running to the grave. And, and, uh, and, and you notice that John says of himself that make sure that, that he points out that Peter eventually was left in the dust and John got there first. In other words, he, he, he carried that love of an intimacy with John. And throughout the Gospel of John, you'll notice that John keeps on describing himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Anybody ever notice that? And so that's kind of like this love thing. And even if you read his, his, um, his letters, John's always talking about love in the community and, uh, and like just the love of God, the love of the Father. Keeps on, that's a big theme for John is the Father and love, intimacy, tenderness. This same John, when he is exiled to an island called Patmos for preaching the gospel, there he has a vision, a revelation he doesn't know if he, w- he said he was in the, sp- in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he began to see some things, and he actually saw the same Jesus that he had walked with for three and a half years. He saw the same Jesus, and he heard the same Jesus. But John's kind of depiction of Jesus seeing him after the resurrection was a little bit different from just this intimate picture that he had running to his grave and being the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is that same John's description of Jesus that he saw the resurrected and ascended seated at the right hand of God. He says the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and his mouth From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is the same John that had once leaned on the breast of Jesus. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. This, my friends, is Jesus the Son of God. He is fully man, but also fully God. So with all power as God, what are some of the things that uh, Jesus did having all power? I'm just going to read over a couple verses if we can look at that, because uh, rather than my words, I'd much, much rather have this church community established on the words of God the words of, of, of Scripture that he's given to, to us as a, as a light to our feet and a lamp to our, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, as, J, as Jason saying earlier. But before I do, I just want to do this. Is ask us, what are some of the issues that we deal with in our lives? Because the, the things that we're looking at in terms of what did, how did he respond to human need, human a tragedy, what did he do with human sickness and disease, what did he do with those things, we need to realize you and I have issues, right? Sometimes, I'm looking at Michael, he shared a testimony a few weeks back about something as simple as he's trying to fix something in his house, and he saw that it was taking too long, and he was going to be late for work, I mean uh, church, and he just began to turn his heart and, and seek Jesus. Do you guys remember some of that story? And something as simple as that what are some of the things that you and I deal with, whether as seemingly small as that or as big as having been abused severely as a child and the 
and the effects that that's had on us or anything in between. What is Jesus' response with this power that he has as being fully God to human need? Well, one, again, looking at the, the, the book of Luke, Jesus cast out demons. Uh, demons, by the way, are not relegated to 2,000 years ago. And neither are they relegated to Africa or the unwesternized world. Uh, demons are a real thing. And, and they're a wicked thing, and they do nothing but bring people into bondage. And Jesus, as we found out earlier from Mendes Scripture, 2 Corinthians, the spirit of Detroit Scripture, so to speak, he is a liberator. For the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. What did Jesus do with demons? Let's just read it. In the synagogue, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 33 through 37, in the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out with the top of his voice, Go away! What do, we want with, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them and, and came out without injuring him. And the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. So in the case of, of uh, demons, Jesus takes authority, sets people free. What about in the sense, in the case of, of diseases? Now, I know all of us have read these things. We're all aware of these things, perhaps. But to hear them again and to take note of them again, this is Jesus' posture towards our issues. Even demonic issues, serious issues. How about a disease? Luke chapter 4, verse 40. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. Did you notice uh, the, the, the wording there, the verbiage there, in terms of the number or the percentage of people who had sickness? Did you catch that? The people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Note that there weren't any in that all that he healed that he said, actually, I'm trying to teach you some lessons. I don't want to heal you. You here, come here. I want to lay hands and boom, be healed. Sorry, bro. You just need to humble yourself. He healed all of them. His approach to sickness is not of the kingdom of heaven, enemy of the kingdom of heaven, drive it out. How about uh, Jesus uh, and, and nature? Um, the ravages of, of even, even, even nature. And I think uh, perhaps we as the church need to raise, raise the lid a bit on the power of God. Uh, and it's not even just about my migraine and uh, my need for cash this week or whatever the case may be. Uh, check this out. Luke 8, 22 through 25. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And so they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Now, we've heard this story a million times, but let me ask you this, me included. How many times have we been in the boat with Jesus, and we start to see issues going down in our lives, circumstances that are freaking us out, and our response is not confidence in Jesus, is Jesus, wake up! Don't you see what's going on? Anybody ever been in that position before? 
It's not like a faith in Jesus, we can move mountains. It's a, ah! Anyone ever, I'm, I mean, I've been there like a few weeks ago, you know, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm being real with you. But that maybe isn't the highest faith response to Jesus. And so when we read this passage of Scripture, let's not, let's not judge these disciples, those idiots in the boat. I mean, didn't they know who they were with? It was the Son of God, the morons. No. <laughs> what about you and me in our positions who are yelling, Master, Master, help us? It's not, it's, it's, it's not necessarily the greatest way to respond. However, let's read along. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, the storm subsided, and all was calm. Verse 25, where is your faith, he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? Key question. He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. The stuff of nature is even submitted to Jesus. And I want to even say to us that the stuff of nature even, if it is coming against the purpose of God being fulfilled in any of our lives, Jesus can even, with our faith, move mountains to cause things to come into alignment for his purposes and his will. That is not hype. That's not spiritual hype. That is real. That is real. And in fact, if that's not real, count me out. If either Jesus is God or we're, as I say often, we're, we're idiots for being in this room right now. There's, we could be having so much more fun in this world than, than this. But if he really is God, then there is no end to the power that is available to us and ultimately through us. And so let's, let's just kind of reference this as well. We know this scripture related to the last one is that there was this one moment where Jesus uh, <laughs> kind of took it a little further, and this time he decided to actually get out of the boat and walk on water, you know, <laughs> which uh, I don't know how I would have felt. They looked at him and they thought he might be a ghost, and if I saw Jesus walking on the water, I don't, you know, I don't know if I would be singing praises to your name. I'd be like, ah, what the heck? You know, anyway. <laughs> so that's kind of how they were responding. And as you know, Peter, Peter looked at him and said, Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come. And Jesus said, come. And Jesus steps, I mean, Peter steps out of the boat. And, uh, and, it, and it says that as he began to, Peter started to walk on the water. And as he began to behold the boisterous winds and waves, He got afraid, and he began to sink. The key there is that he took his eyes off of Jesus because he couldn't behold the boisterous winds and waves without taking his eyes off of Jesus and onto them. Am I right? He took his eyes off of Jesus onto them. He started to look to them, and that is when his heart began to fill with fear, and he began to sink. Important lesson for you and me today. And when he began, in the end of this story... I mean, as you know, he began to sink. Jesus kind of leveraged him. That's an interesting story in and of itself. How did he reach down and pull him up when he himself was standing on the water? It's hard to even imagine. But in Matthew 14, 33, it says, Then those who were in the boat, this is after they saw this whole thing with Peter and Jesus, and, you know, like, <laughs> what was that? 
uh, it, it says, Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And that, I think, is what Jesus is wanting us to remember, even perhaps if yet again, or perhaps on a deeper level, to come to this revelation. This is not a Bible story that we're learning in children's church. This is real. Jesus did this, and he's not, he hasn't changed. And he still, can I, can, I, can I say it and you understand what I mean? He's still as freaky as he was then. He still is showing up in our lives, standing on water and wanting us to join him. Still is. And he's still actually yielding his power to cause us to do things like walk on physical water. That's not beyond, G- G- so regardless of what your experience and my experience has been in church or Christianity, this, what we're describing, is biblical Christianity, right? So we want to kind of rip the ceiling off of what our faith and expectation is when it comes to Jesus and who it is that we're serving. And I love what Minda was encouraging with us earlier, that all of us have been handpicked by this same Jesus to be together in this place. And when we come together in this place, what are we doing? We're accessing this one that we're speaking of. What could he do through us if he just has our faith in our heart? You tell me. What could he possibly do through us? Oh, but we're like, you know, you know, a bunch of, <laughs> what a, I, I don't want to offend anybody. Let's look at who's leading the thing here. I mean, what's going to happen with this group? No, if we believe him based on who he really is, I don't care what issues you and I have. There's no, there's no end to what he could do through us. That's the key ingredient. So the son of God's words have power. Now, that's not like a superficial, churchy thing to say. That's actually theologically rich, and I'll explain why. Earlier in that scripture that we read earlier, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the... Jesus is described as the Word of God. I get some of you theologians are like, well, yeah, but that's logos, and that actually means the full totality of the knowledge of God. Yeah, I I, I get it, but it's also the Word of God, in other words, the divine communication of God. And if you look back at Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning was God, and God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, God spoke And when words come out of the mouth of God, who is that? Jesus. And in the beginning was the Word, and the the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by Him. The Word of God has power. Jesus' words have power. They framed everything that exists, including the very flesh and blood that you and I are. And one, in one time, during a, a, a moment when Je- the same Jesus kind of required Minda and I to step out of the boat in a way that was beyond anything that we had ever done prior to that point, these words came to me, and I tweeted them. Because I felt like they were brilliant. But, <laughs> but they came to me. And, and they meant a whole lot in that moment. When Jesus calls you, or us, to step out of the boat, remember 
that the, the waters beneath your feet were framed by words from the same mouth that bid you to come. <laughs> that puts it into perspective. And we want to live in a place where Jesus is leading us into those uncomfortable places as a church because I have found that is where Jesus is seen and revealed most. And it's when we're in the boat and when we're comfortable, people see a whole heck of a lot of us, and that's not going to change Detroit and definitely not going to transform nations. But Jesus has called us to bring his kingdom come into the earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about that story just as a, just to kind of give you some context as we, as we kind of look into how that we respond to the reality of Jesus being the Son of God. In 2011, uh, and some of you may know may, some of this story, but, but Minda and, and, and we, the family, we were in South Africa, and we were in the beginnings of our third year in South Africa. We were there having three year, a three-year contract with a particular company as a humanitarian aid organization called Joint Aid Management. We were there, there on three-year contracts, but we knew that when we went to South Africa, we were actually there ultimately to do what we were called to do, which is lead a church. And so we didn't know how that was going to happen, but it was a great place to kind of land for three years, learn the culture and all that. But at the end of that second year, the beginning of the third year, we began to realize in 12 months' time, we kind of need to know, like, what's happening after that. Because we don't really know if they're going to offer to extend the contract. And even if they did, we don't know if we're supposed to do that because working at this humanitarian aid organization isn't actually what we're called to do ultimately, even though we're honored to be doing it. And so we're having this conversation with the, the senior pastor of the church or the lead elder of the church, and we have a great relationship with them. And the conversation is basically like, you know, we're, we've always been looking at you guys coming under a full-time eldership uh, role with the church, and, and kind of that was the language that we were using, it was being used, and so we were thinking, geez, we're, we're, we're in such a sweet spot. We are in this awesome church. We're celebrated. We feel celebrated. We feel loved. They, they, even though we're not formally on the pastoral eldership team, we're treated as such. We're we're, they're releasing us to preach regularly. The people in the church look to us as that. We have more friends. There's probably a church of about 750 people. We've got more friends who we could build into deep relationship with than we can even have the time to, to do it with. We're in a sweet spot. Beginning of this year, February of this year, there's a prophetic conference, and uh, a, a particular lady who has a prophetic gift get, shared a word with us. And... Uh, and we respect her greatly, and I won't go into all the details, but she basically said the door, be, she sees the door behind you is shutting, and the door in front of you has not yet opened, and, we, and I see that you're kind of in this transitional mid-spot. She didn't know anything of our circumstances. Transitional mid-spot, and uh, they call it the corridor of hell. <laughs> and it's praise, praise the Lord. Thank you for that encouraging, encouraging prophetic word. And uh, so, no, honestly, it was one of these things and take note of this, that in the prophetic word, it, I, we knew it registered, we knew it was God speaking to us, but that element about it being the corridor of hell, my, our, our brains kind of went tilt. We know God's speaking to us, but that does not, it's not descriptive of where we feel at all. We feel we are in a sweet spot. We are even financially better than we've ever been. We're 
kids are in a great school, all the stuff. Friends all over. We, we love it. We're in South Africa. We're loving the call, all that stuff. Sweet spot. That day began the corridor of hell in our lives. God started to deal with us on, on, in issues. I won't go into the details. Just dealing with our own developmental issues. Uh, developmental. In other words, uh, things that are critical to um, our effectiveness as leaders. And began to, it was like being under the scrutiny of God. But what began to happen was that the concept of door, the door behind us hasn't yet opened, the door in front of us hasn't yet shut. God started to speak to us through, about doors everywhere we turned. We got two, there was one lady in the church who gave us a prophetic word, God's going to open up a door for you. Then we get an email from somebody else, and I feel like God's saying that he's going to open up a door for you from, from America. We were in South Africa. So God starts, we couldn't open up the scriptures without reading somewhere, door. You know, we, we open up the scripture, ask and it shall be given, seek and it shall be given, knock and the door shall be, door shall be open. So door everywhere we go, and we knew that God was saying that he was going to open up a door. And uh, what eventually happened was we were given the opportunity to extend our contracts with the company that we were with, but God was saying so clearly, I'm going to open up a door that we felt and we knew it was going to be disobedience if we did that. But the thing is, if you're an American in South Africa on the type visa that we were on, you can't find, you can't just get a job in South Africa. So if we don't extend these contracts and some door doesn't open, Home Affairs is not going to just allow you to just go find a job because they're going to have to prove, that company's going to have to prove why they hired you as opposed to an indigenous South Africa, and they're not going to be able to do it. So it was like, either extend these contracts, or as our, our, our pastor said, you're stepping out into spiritual no man's land. And so there we were, come June, we had to make some decisions, and actually come July, we made a decision we know God's speaking to us. We're going to have to, we're gonna have to not accept the opportunity to extend the contract. We were told that by the 1st of September, we needed to confirm what our decision was going to be. That time came, and we sat down, and we, and we told them we're not going to extend the contracts, and we believe that God was opening up a door. Now, during this time, uh, as we were making this decision— I just want to speak to the reality of this because maybe some, maybe some of us in our development of following Jesus, perhaps some of us would be required to step out of a boat and be and re required to walk on water, figuratively speaking. Here thinks that that is within the realm of possibility of Jesus' future for you. It probably is if you're following Jesus. In those times, let me tell you something. I was nailed with thoughts. This kid right here. Peter, put your hand up. I would see this guy from time to time, and my heart would fill with dread because I would think, what if we're missing it? What if this door doesn't open and we find ourselves in South Africa without a visa, without a job, no longer legally being able to send our kids to school, no more, no more school, uh, uh, what do you call it? No, not a bursary, um, study visa. The study visa would have expired by then. Uh, no more income. No, we're, we're stuck there. We're, we would have to be deported. What if we were deported from, from South Africa? And we, we, we don't have a house. We would have to stay with my family. And how would that conversation go? Paul, why didn't you get a job before your, your other one expired? Well, I believed that God was saying that he was going to open up a door. So you didn't get a job? 
See, we didn't feel in faith that we could look for a job in America because we felt we knew God was saying, I'm going to open a door for you in South Africa. And those thoughts were real. And as I went through that season, I read this passage of Scripture that I just read earlier, where Peter stepped out of the boat, and it says that he began to behold the boisterous winds and waves, and he began to fill with fear, and he started to sink. And Jesus said to me, that when you step out of this water on this spiritual no-man's land, you're going to have boisterous winds and waves. You're going to have thoughts about your children and about the tragedy that could happen if I don't come through. And you're going to have all these things coming to you, and you're going to have to keep your focus on me, or else your heart's going to sink, and you're, and you're not going to be able to walk through the door. But if you see, keep your eyes on me through the season, you're going to walk through. I'm opening up a door for you. And so Minda and I, it was like doing spiritual calisthenics. It was like, have you ever like decided to go to the gym after a long time of not doing it and you like go full throttle and your body is like not liking it? You ever done that? Uh, is it only me? <laughs> okay, Kurt. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying though. Your body is like kicks into like overwhelm. We were, we were in a sp- everyday clinging to hear any inkling of what Jesus would say, and that would fuel our tank. We were so dependent on the Lord, and that's the sweetest spot to be in. And uh, September came, and we had to sit down and tell them, gulp, we're not extending the contract, and that was when we kind of, as they say, we crossed the Rubicon. The bridge was burned. We had nothing. There's no chance. They were already from that day looking for other people to fulfill our positions, and there were three months left in the year for something, something to happen. And uh, I walked out of that office, and I remember feeling in my heart, God, you must be proud of me, because I've done it, I've made the leap of faith, and now you can open the door. And September came, and September went, and the door did not open. And October came, and October went. And there were two months left in the year, and uh, I went to, we went to our pastor, and we kind of said, are you, what, what are you thinking? He's like, well, you know, God has a way of coming through at the 11th hour. Thanks. Thanks, bud. Appreciate the advice. And so at the end of October, uh, we had a conversation with a guy, a pastor who had planted a church eight years prior to that and had been feeling for some time to transition the church. He came to the pastoral team of the church we were in. Is there anybody kind of in the, in the ranks that uh, they feel they could recommend to, to lead the church? And uh, on, I remember November 8th, 2011, we preached there. We were feeling out the church to see if we felt that this was God. They were kind of feeling us out. And by mid-November, 11th hour, it became established that this was, hap- this was, was a go. So I, I remember in January of the next year, I, I, I thought back at all of the scenarios that bombarded my thoughts of what could happen, what was going down, of the humiliation, of the, oh, I didn't even go into some of the financial realities that we went through that year, too. Uh, like, that's a whole other story. We were living on eggs, beans, and rice, literally, for about four months of that year. And I, 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 we found ourselves in this, in this position at the, the beginning of the next year, after seeing all those scenarios, and found that we were, we, we had jobs. I mean, not that that was the critical thing, but it is an important thing. You know, we had, God did open up a door. 
our kids were, didn't even skip a beat, still in the same awesome school, visas in place, a house, blessed with a house that was so far beyond what we had ever dreamed of, and by far the most important, God had opened up a door for us to walk into a far more full expression of what we had always known was our call. He opened the door for us to begin to run with that and fulfill something of greater divine purpose. And I want to say to us, Jesus is the Son of God. And he is totally faithful, utterly reliable. Let's let that sink into the DNA, as Minda said, the DNA of what we are as a church. Who, more than anything else, before we're identified as Paul Nichols Church or Jason Faraday or NCMI, before we're identified with anything else, who do we identify with? Jesus. And not just Jesus, the name, the true revelation of who he really is. He is the Son of God, reigning in power, totally reliable and able, and also totally willing and committed to do his purposes through us. It's actually just a matter of keeping our focus and our eyes on Jesus. So in conclusion, what would we say about all this? How does this impact us? Number one, don't worry. <laughs> Let that sink in for just a second. Don't worry. I'm going to preach that to myself. I'm going to preach that to my sister Tamora over here. I know everybody in this room probably worries about something oftentimes. Listen to the, these words from the same Jesus who is the Son of God. Matthew chapter 6. Are you ready for this? Can we, can we hear these words as though they are, in fact, the words of the Son of God, the same one who, whose words framed the creation that we're existing in? These words should carry weight in our heart. This is what he says. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And I'm going to ask you this question. What is it that you worry about? Because the, the, the passage of Scripture here doesn't kind of say, oh. It's okay. You shouldn't worry. No, it's do not worry. Command. Instruction. Don't. Now there, there's, you know, you may think, well, I don't even know how to, to not worry. Like, that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the antidote, but don't worry. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Well, well-asked question. No, you cannot. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? I know, I know we don't like to hear Jesus saying, you of little faith, but Jesus does say, you of little faith. And we need to kind of have a little smack on the, on the backside, as Minda would say. Maybe I can say the bum as well. I don't know. That could be, get me into trouble again. Sometimes we do need a bit of a, of a, of a healthy smack to get us to see, actually, I'm, a, I'm being of little faith right now. Yes, my circumstances are real, but this reaction to it is little faith. 
So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Or how are our visas going to come through? How are my kids going to have a school? What's the, don't worry. For the pagans, in other words, those who don't have a covenant with God, the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. That's the key. Is God already knows what you need. He already has in his plan provision for all of you need. All that we need is to know his will by hearing his voice because in following his plan is provision. You don't believe me? Let's read on. But seek first his kingdom. What does that mean? That means his will. His, his will being done as it is in heaven here on earth as we follow him. Seek first his kingdom. Seek his will. Seek his leadership. Seek his voice. His, what is he saying to you? Is he standing outside of that boat saying, come? Or is he saying, uh, what do he say to us? Wait from the open door. Or I don't know what your circumstances may be, but what's he saying to you right now? Seek that. In that is all the stuff that you have need of. Therefore, there is no need to worry about any of it. Why? He's already done it for you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I just read to you, Jesus said something about not worrying. Five times. Indicates to me that perhaps he, he means it. And the solution to this thing is what I just described. Knowing something about, uh, about his will and, and doing it. I could use, uh, we'll go into the detail, but, but the Faradays as well. Back in 20, what, what year did you guys move to Detroit? 2000 and, sorry? In 13, yeah. So back before, if I could say this bluntly, before it was cool to move to Detroit. Because now it's like the cool thing to do. But back then, when, when the Faradays heard God to do it, uh, it wasn't cool, and it certainly wasn't convenient or comfortable to move to the east side of Detroit. Uh, and, I mean, all these other things that are a part of their journey of how little they actually knew. And most people probably looked at them saying, oh, like, you know, pitying them. Like, oh my gosh, they're moving. Respect the love of Jesus that they have and the love for the poor. That's wonderful. But like, oh, these poor people. And actually, though none of it has been comfortable and still probably isn't, God has miraculously provided for them. And, and as Courtney said a few weeks ago, she used to feel like she can't move to Detroit because how could she have a full life? And when, in fact, over the last four years, she finds that she's living a fuller life than she ever has before, my thing, my commendation to us is this. Jesus is well worthy of being trusted. We don't need to worry. We don't need to figure it out. We don't need to put a Christian label on our will and say that we're good Christians because we don't do this, this, and this, and we attend a church. <laughs> we need to find the voice of Jesus, the Son of God, even though it calls us to step and to walk on the water because in that is all that we need. And we'll end with this. 
What does God say in reference to his son being the son of God? Luke 9.35, when Jesus was taken to the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter, James, John, and Andrew actually saw him in his transfigured state and they see Moses on one side and they see Elijah on the other. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, the sum total of everything that God had done with his people up to that point. And there's Jesus standing in the middle and Moses and Elijah both bend their knee and start worshiping Jesus and they begin to read realize that this Jesus that they've been following is actually far above even Moses and Elijah, and then they hear a voice come out of heaven, this is my beloved son, hear him. And I would want to suggest to us today that that same God is still speaking over us as a church community right now saying, he is my son, hear him. If we can just hear him. And maybe Jason, if you don't mind, could, you, could I just ask you to kind of come and, and with your guitar? And I'd like to give a, make a, a point right now, make a moment right now, to, to each of us give space to hearing him. How many of you would agree with me, we need to hear him? More than anything at the end of the day. Yes, we need a whole lot. I need a whole lot. A whole lot. But more than anything, let our confession in this moment right now be, we need to hear him. And I guarantee you, those whose hearts are postured to hear Jesus, regardless of what he wants to say, because I want to encourage you with this, your circumstances, whatever it is that you may be facing, in every single one of them, Jesus is speaking something It's just a matter of not looking at him saying, Master, Master, we're about to drown. That prayer doesn't actually bend your heart to hearing what he has to say, but rather come to him and say, I know who you are. And yes, I feel like freaking out right now, but I know you haven't changed, and I know you reign far above, not above, far above the circumstances that I face. And if I can hear you, I've got everything that I need. Can we stand up? And let's sing to this Jesus, and let's bend our heart to him, and let's position ourselves to hear him, not just right now, but in the week ahead, and the months ahead, and to live in the voice of God.